Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we are looking at the amazing Spider-Man duology. Uh, the two films directed by Mark Webb uh, it was a reboot of the Spider-Man films after the Sam Raimi trilogy, which we covered in our last episode. And uh, we're looking at, you know, possibly seeing, well, actually we know we're going to see some of the characters and themes uh, from this series uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home. So that's one of the definitely one of the big reasons we're doing this uh, this episode today. So Matt, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me uh, and the audience, what about uh, your overall thoughts on the amazing Spider-Man duology? So overall, I was actually pretty happy with the movies. I, you know, I, I think that um, they're, they're very different than, than the Sam Raimi ones. The Sam Raimi ones are very corny. They're very campy. I, I think there's lots of good action. I think the, the web slinging is good, but they're also, you know, these two um, films are very different. Um, where I, I really liked the first Amazing Spider-Man. The second one I had heard really negative things about, and it wasn't as bad as I had kind of heard it was. And so I, I went in with, with kind of a negative outlook, like going into the film. And, and I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would. There were parts that were not great and and there were problems in in amazing spider-man 2 but overall i i quite liked uh the duology and i i thought that it provides an interesting opportunity that not a lot of uh, films get which you know i mentioned on our our last episode with the sam raimi trilogy that like with comics, you have runs by different authors, different artists, and they'll work with the same group of characters, but the stories will be very different. And we don't really get that a lot with, with movies, comic book movies, but we do with Spider-Man. And so it's, at least for me, it's really fun to imagine these two, the Raimi trilogy and the web duology as two separate comic runs. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. What are your overall thoughts? No, I think that's a good way to look at it, that they're not, you know, they're not competing and it's okay to like both, uh, but they are, they do, it feels like yeah, we do this, we get this in comics where, you know, where one writer will take over from another and then they kind of change some things up or we have, you know, there's always reboots of the characters in comics. You know, I think if, I know they've had it in Marvel too, but in, in DC, I think you really have you know, all the crisis events where they basically restart the line. It's kind of the same idea you're getting here. Uh, I really like these movies too. I, the second mm -hmm. one, we'll talk about why it doesn't quite work, but I really did like the first one a lot. Uh, I think that it's really smart that some of the things they did to differentiate from the, the previous movies where you have, you know, actually the story of where Peter's parents went. And I really enjoyed all that backstory um, with them being, you know, essentially... Uh, secret agents almost <laughs> right and in the comics you know they have been retconned as, as shield agents and so i thought that was kind of a cool uh, addition and then also how you know peter's transformation is kind of predestined in a way you know because it's directly related to his father's work i thought that was a really smart smart way to go i really like andrew garfield that's my biggest takeaway 
Uh, I do too. He, he's my favorite live action Spider-Man. Uh, that's that's really interesting. Uh, I and I want to get into that a little bit because I I feel like Spider-Man's an, also like a really interesting character because there's really two sides to him, right? You have Peter Parker and you've got Spider-Man, and I think, at least in my opinion, more than any other superhero that we see, Peter really it's really important that like both of his you know his separate lives are 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 good on their own in my opinion right where it's like tony stark he's kind of iron man like there's not really a double life there is no you know for the most part there's no double life for him but there is with spider-man i think that andrew garfield overall is a better actor uh, in in these spider-man movies than toby mcguire I think the acting is more consistently high. Not that Tobey Maguire's a bad actor or anything. I just think that for these films, I think the level of acting is consistently a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, with Andrew Garfield. But I also think that Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, I, I'm not the biggest fan of it. It doesn't feel like Peter Parker to me. He's like a skater punk. <laughs> and, and Andrew Garfield is too good looking and too cool to be kind of the the dweeb, the nerd, you know, that I feel like Peter Parker kind of is. Um, and I think a great instance of this is when we kind of first see Peter Parker and it's not Peter who's being picked on uh, right. by, I believe it's Flash Thompson again. It is. Yep. Yeah. It's some other kid. And he's like holding the other kid upside down and like ducking his head in applesauce or something, right? But to me, it's and then like Andrew's Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker comes in and he's standing up, which is good characterization, but it doesn't quite feel like Peter Parker. It's it's like Peter's just like a pretty average kid in in Mark Webb's, you know, Spider-Man movies. I kind of like the nerdiness, the kind of loser vibe that Peter has uh in in Raimi's Spider-Man movies a little better what do you think yeah so I had that one too and I actually that instance where he stands up to Flash I I like that a lot actually I thought that that was kind of cool that he's kind of already a hero because Mm. you know it's it seems that's kind of a big leap like he gets you know bit by a spider and gets new powers and all of a sudden he also has a character change where he's brave and stands up to bad guys and like this is you know as opposed to this version where you know he's kind of willing you know the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak he stands mm-hmm. up to flash and then pays the price for it so i thought that was kind of a cool and surprising you know addition to this because yeah usually you just see peter getting picked on repeatedly and here he's you standing up for the smaller guy uh i think you know he is he is an outcast i get i, I get where you're saying where he's it's a it's a different characterization where he's you know he's not your typical nerd he seems like almost like he's on the on the autism spectrum a little bit in certain aspects. I've I've noticed that where he's kind of has a trouble focusing on things outside of one particular thing, uh, which I thought was interesting. But I did really like. I thought there was some good indirect characterization with him that, though too. Where in the first in the in the in the Raimi trilogy, it's kind of like he's t- we we're told that he's smart, right? He's a genius, but we get to see that I think a little bit better in this one. Uh, we talked about the web shooters, of course, and that in fact, he actually figures that out and develops the, the web fluid from some Osborne tech. But I also liked the scene uh, with his uncle where he's figuring out the plumbing 
and just kind of having oh, yeah. that knack for, uh, you know, from, from mechanical things, understanding how things work. Right. Seems like it'd be kind of a natural thing where, yeah, this is a guy who's really smart and here's some practical application to that. We see it in action before uh, we, you know, he's developing the, the spider tech and stuff. So I like that. I was like, oh yeah, let me show you uh, what a smart guy he is. Mm-hmm. No, I think you bring up some good points. And I hadn't thought about it that way where in, in Webb's movies, Spider-Man, or I should say Peter Parker has the personality of like, I need to stand up for other people, but he doesn't really have the strength to do so. So I actually kind of like that. Um, thinking about it from that perspective, I do like it better. I, I think for me, it's an interesting contrast, which Raimi kind of touches on uh, where you have someone who there, there is a, a drastic change where, where Peter Parker in Raimi's is very much like, oh, wow, I have all these powers now. How am I going to use them? And he kind of discovers like with the wrestling match and how Ben dies in Raimi's, it's like he's discovering like, okay, I have to use these powers responsibly. And I do feel like that's one of the weaknesses for me of webs because first of all, the, the whole scene with Ben, I, um, I love Martin Sheen as, as Ben Parker. Uh, I think that's a great choice. And uh, uh, Ben, Ben and May, I think are fantastic. I love the two of them and their, their interplay uh, between those two and with Peter uh, in Webb's, Webb's trilogy. I, I think the the scene where Ben dies, though, is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it's like Peter goes in, he doesn't have enough money for his milk, which random, but whatever. But it's like, if you don't have enough money for something, yeah, they're not going to let you buy it. And like the store clerk is not being super kind or whatever, right? But it's like, it's same thing. He doesn't have enough money. And then the, the, the robber comes in and, you know, he runs out and then the, the store shop guy, he's like, you know, stop somebody. Hey, you stop him. And it's like, no average person is going to run after a shoplifter. Like <laughs> that's not their job. It's not, it's dangerous. Right. But then when he trips and the, the gun falls out right in front of uncle Ben, uncle Ben like dives for the gun, but why? There's no reason to like <laughs> just get out of the way. Right. Like don't mess around with something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, it's one thing where if Spider-Man or uncle Ben is like trying to save somebody, right. Where there's literal danger to somebody else and you put yourself on the line to protect someone else. But it's like, no, this is like just some cash. Like that can be replaced. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do. And, you know, that's one of the earlier, my earlier thoughts I didn't quite mention yet, but I'll, I'll mention it here too, is, you know, how soon is too soon for a reboot? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's five years between Spider-Man three and this one. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really a short turnaround. And then of course, you know, he's rebooted again, only two years after amazing Spider-Man two in civil war. So five years is too soon, but two years is really, really soon. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting thing of like, do we redo the scene, like we talked about earlier, that you know, the with Cliff Robertson in, in the Raimi movies, that that with great power comes great responsibility. All of that, they don't even touch that in this mm-hmm. one. They kind of dance around it, which they also do in, in the Tom Holland version, because it's it's perfect, right? Don't mess with it. The Uncle Ben death is 
perfect. And they kind of mess with it in this one a little bit. They don't want to do it exactly the same. I do give them credit for the fact that it's almost like it's more Peter's fault in this version because they just had an argument and like, he wouldn't even be there at all. You know, he's kind of running out there and he's desperate, you know, to try and track down Peter. And so it's just a little bit of a different angle, but yeah, the, the execution is no pun intended cheesy. Like it's kind of cheesy. Uh, I will say I'm going to move us down to um, a little bit of cinematography real fast mm-hmm. uh, is that you have, when they walk into Oscorp, there's this giant looming hologram of Norman Osborne kind of in profile or silhouette rather, uh, which I thought was, was interesting because they don't really have Norman Osborne in this movie and he's barely in the second one. And so kind of contrasting what they did with uncle Ben is like, they don't even touch Norman Osborne. Like yeah. I had in my notes, like he's, he's the phantom menace to borrow a star Wars reference of, of these movies. He's just kind of floating in the background. He kind of drives the plot. For number one, because uh, we know Dr. Connors is working on something to kind of, you know, fix him. He's got, you know, Norman Osborn has a disease and he's mentioned a couple of times, uh, but they're like, you know, Willem Dafoe did such a great job. Let's not even have him in the movie. We just had the Green Goblin. Let's not retread uh, all of that stuff. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but I, I like that point. It is interesting because you, you do have you bring up a good point with the, the, how long, you know, or how, how soon is too soon for reboot because I think Willem Dafoe is, is pretty iconic as Green Goblin. I mean, you know, love him or hate him. I think a lot of people that's his voice is cemented kind of as Green Goblin because so many of us grew up watching, you know, the Raimi trilogy and, and, and Green Goblin uh, and Willem Dafoe's uh, portrayal of him. So I think this movie's in a bit of a pickle a little bit. And it's one thing that I actually really like about the MCU Spider-Man is that they, they don't even bother with it. <laughs> like they, they completely skip over the origin story for Spider-Man. We, we know nothing about how the MCU uh, origin might be different. Um, I will say, you know, for cinematography, my absolute 100% favorite shots is uh, I'm forgetting the scientist's name from the first Amazing Spider-Man. Dr. Connors. Um, Dr. Connors, yes. Yeah. Um, first of all, I love the fact that he's missing an arm. Like that's a perfect little motivational piece for that character because it's like it makes total sense why he's trying this whole reptilian like regrowth thing. And there's one shot where he's there's like a glass, I think it's glass or maybe a mirror. And he's like reaching out and he can see like both, like the reflection of both of his arms. Right. And it's such a beautiful little piece of, of camera work to get that perfectly where you can see both his, his real arm and his uh, chopped off, but like the pale reflection of his other arm. But what I love, again, is just that it, it has that motivation. I feel like so many uh, superhero movies fall into this trap of we're going to be evil for the sake of being evil. <laughs> and Dr. Connors has this very, you know, real personal motivation for doing this work. And it devolves a little bit, in my opinion, towards the end where he's like, well, we're going to improve the human race and all. And it, it falls into that generic super villain spiel 
but I think it's such a strong beginning that I don't mind it too much. Uh, and I, and I love the fact that, uh, we, we get that, uh, non-verbally we, we get that just visual, uh, even from the very beginning. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that I had that written too. I thought that was a fascinating, fascinating shot. And you can really, you can see on his face, like he's, you know, it only, if only I could do this, you know, that, that there is, yeah. You know, this, again, we talked about indirect characterization of what he's. Yep. And we're getting to very much read his thoughts yes. uh, um, in that scene. My favorite shot uh, is, is actually really sad, uh, <laughs> but it is the Gwen Stacy in profile when she hits the ground. I love that one too. Because yeah. they show it just so you can actually see the very moment when she, when she hits, when her head hits. And that along with, you know, just to kind of go down to sound for just a second is just a brutal it's so quick and it's so it's a small sound, but the fact that you hear anything at all, you just know it's over. Yeah. I, I add that as, as one of my favorites too. And that's exactly the word I used to describe. It was brutal. It, you know, I, I talked about how I enjoyed the Raimi movies, how they brought that. It seemed like a higher level of action, right. At, at moments throughout the movies and this was similar and that it was just a, a gut punch visually uh, with, with the audio, you kind of felt it. And, and that, that to me is some great, great movie work right there. Some film, um, you know, a great moment where the visual and the audio work together to create a moment that is, you, you just feel it. Yeah, I mean, number two has a lot of problems, but that's not one of them. Like that's, no. and I think that's part of why number two gets the reputation that it has is that it has these moments of greatness. I love the mm -hmm. end too, where he steps in, you know, takes the, puts his hand on the little kid dressed as Spider Man, like takes over. It's such a great, there's some highs, some really good highs in this movie. Yeah. And some definite lows, which is <laughs> it's horrible. I also really like, I, I do want to mention too, um, that I really liked how, the color is a little bit more muted. We talked about it. It's less cartoony a little bit. And that's kind of the, the feel. It's more grounded, less campy mm -hmm. in this one. Um, and I really like my favorite. I, I don't know if it's my favorite. My favorite shot is, is the one where Gwen Stacy hits. Um, but I also really like the sequence that it's in first person where you, the first time you kind of get the reveal of the costume, where it looks like he just like strapped a, a GoPro, GoPro to the top of his head. And then he hits the wall. Like, I wish there would be more scenes like that where it's like, no, I'm Spider-Man in the audience. I'm getting to, you know, I'm getting to do these things and swing through the buildings and land on the skyscraper. I just thought that was just a great kind of out of nowhere. There's not a ton of it uh, in these films, uh, but I thought it was a really powerful moment. I, I actually didn't like the, the first person. <laughs> it just, <laughs> hey, that's fine. It, no, but I, I love the imagery and I, like of him with the reflection of Spider-Man. And I love what you just said about, hey, we're all Spider-Man because thematically, I think that's where Spider-Man's most powerful. But um, to me, it was it just felt too jerky. Like, it, it, I don't know, was personally a fan, but I love the intent behind it. What did you think of the web slinging from the duology compared to Raimi's? I thought it took a massive leap forward. I thought it was great. It felt, uh, it felt less CGI. Clearly it is. Right. It's not, it's not a guy. It isn't a stuntman doing that, but it felt 
more photorealistic and it felt more visceral because of that. So I, I really liked it. I thought it was a big leap forward. That was one thing that I, I noticed right away. First time I saw Amazing Spider-Man was, wow, I really liked the web swinging, especially through traffic and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot better too. And I think part of that's probably the technology where the CGI looks more real. And so it feels a little more real. And, and what did you think about the the suits? You know, talking about costumes real quick. Um, uh, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man costume versus Andrew Garfield's. Well, I'm on record from our last episode as saying that it was a massive leap <laughs> in, in believability that that uh, that Toby Maguire's Spider-Man would be able to make that suit. And we never even get him making it. It just he just shows up and he's wearing that. Yeah. Versus this one, you very it's very grounded, right? He's mm-hmm. literally you know cutting the lenses out of a pair of sunglasses. Yeah. And and researching and which is pretty funny, uh, you know, always spandex. I'm just trying <laughs> to find something that he can put together. Uh, this so kind of has a little bit of a homemade feel to it, but it's also fairly cool. Uh, and then they have the massive redesign uh, for the second one with just the giant eyes and no explanation of how he got that. And, that, and that's <laughs> that's fine, you know. He, I bet he was still doing some some research. You know, he's still using Bing. Uh, I think it's Bing. Some product placement, is, yeah. product placement uh, to find another way to do that. Um, this is kind of a random aside, but I like what they do this in Batman Begins as well, right? Where I'm going to research how to put my costume together. So I, I like seeing that stuff. I think that that's kind of a fun, uh, grounded take on superheroes, especially street level ones that are starting out, don't have a lot mm-hmm. of money. Yeah, I I love uh, the the research like you said, uh, of putting the costume together. And we see that in Raimi's to, to, to an extent, the design anyway. Um, I, I, I think the costume, the Spider-Man costume from Spider-Man 2 looks better, visually speaking, on film. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 1 costume, I don't think it looks that good. I think it's a little bit more believable, like you said, a little bit more grounded, but I, I don't think it looks great. Uh, and I, and I like Raimi's, uh, Spider-Man costume quite a bit. I will say though, I think that, um, not Norman Osborn, uh, his son, Harry, Harry. I don't know why I'm blanking on that. Yeah, no his, his costume towards the end is not good. I've, <laughs> No, it, it's really bad. I, I don't like it at all. What, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it answers my, my gripe about uh, the goblin mask, right? <laughs> but it also kind of feels disjointed. Yeah. A little bit. Um, he's got, you know, um, Dane DeHaan has a very expressive face as well. You know, he can do that rare, very wide grin. And I think that like it kind, I get where they were going with mm-hmm. that. Uh, and I appreciated the fact that they let him be expressive in that, but it does, it does feel kind of halfway between a couple of different things. Yeah. It just feels half baked to me where it's like, okay, I, I do see where you're going, but it didn't get there. Um, Electro, I think looks much better in it. You know, it, it's pretty CGI heavy and stuff, but it's like, okay, I, I get it. Um. Yeah, see, I didn't like Electro's costume at all. <laughs> I, I thought it was like an X-Men reject was kind of how that works. You got these jumpsuits. 
didn't, didn't really, I mean, I get where they're going because the, the costume for, you know, the comic version of Electro is extremely campy yeah. and, and probably wouldn't look very good on film, but they went so far the other way, which in, you know, what we've seen so far from his appearance in, in No Way Home, they're kind of bridging those two things. And that's where I'm like really interested because, you know, with these three runs, essentially Spider-Man, you can see how they're kind of building off of each other a little bit where they're taking what a little bit from the previous one, tweaking things, changing a little bit. You know, we talk about the costume and we haven't talked about Tom Holland's Spider-Man yet, but like they take that homemade costume to the extreme in Holland's. And so you can kind of see where things are kind of progressing and they're, and they're a little different. I think with, um, with, with Garfield's uh, Spider-Man, I, I, I think you mentioned that it was a little bit more grounded to me. It feels more like a modern film where Raimi's movies felt very grounded in the nineties. Um, you have these like, tonal jumps which we talked about like where the random horror movie pops in (laughs) you don't have that right in um in web spider-man it it feels a little more tonally consistent it also feels less goofy i don't want to say less childish but it feels more grown up more modern um you mentioned how it's a little desaturated right the 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 colors are a bit more muted I think that um, that's a little more the case even in the Holland movies for the MCU where things are a little bit more toned down, a little bit more muted. And so you have this interesting progression from the first Spider-Man movies to the most recent ones where these things are kind of changing as, as they go. So I want to touch on what you said about um, the cheesiness the cheesiness factor of, yeah. of, of the web movies and how for the most part they're, they're more grounded. And I think that's probably why I hate Electro's theme mm. down to sound a little bit because that seems to be, it's so jarring. It's really, it's, it sounds like something like the Riddler's theme almost yeah. out of, out of Batman forever. And you know, that was another thing that the, the first movie uh, Amazing Spider-Man, James Horner does the theme. And I actually liked his theme a lot. I thought it was great. And he's done a lot of awesome scores. You know, Star Trek II, Rathacon, so many good scores. I did a lot of stuff for um, James Cameron, of course. Uh, Avatar and um, Titanic, Aliens. Great stuff, right? So he does, and has a really interesting theme. I liked his theme. I actually like it better than, than Elfman's theme. And I know you're more of a fan of Elfman's theme than I am. And that's, that's fine. And then we change it up and we have, you know, what they call this super group. And I usually, I love Hans Zimmer, but I did not like the score at all for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like a TV theme. So it sounds, it reminds it me a lot of the cheap. Yeah, it sounds, it does. It sounds like the Supergirl on the CW. <laughs> that's what, and like some people like that theme. That's fine. It's it, that sound, but it does, it does sound cheap. It sounds like a TV theme. And then all of a sudden you've got this just really weird kind of bouncy, goofy electro theme, mm-hmm. which they tweak a little bit when the transformation happens. But even that, it's like, yeah, that's it's still lame. And yeah, you know, it just we, we've you know we've talked about with sound and how just changing the music in one scene 
completely change, changes the tone. And I think if we would have had a more consistent, mature score, that that movie would probably have been received a little bit better because I really feel like it hits you emotionally. All right, this is cheesy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily match what you're seeing. Yeah. Although Jamie Foxx is acting in a completely different movie than everybody else. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. The direction, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's doing his own thing. I don't know. You know but it's, <laughs> it takes me out of the film really quickly. He's talking to himself. It's just weird. <laughs> And that's where I struggle because I feel like it's actually an interesting idea because they're, they're clearly trying to show that Electro is kind of off his rocker. Like he is not all there. And I actually feel like it may be inelegant, but it's at least effective. You very clearly understand that he is not a hundred percent there. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I think Jamie Foxx's acting was just fine. I don't think the script did him any favors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's where it's like, I think me going in expecting it to be bad. I was more, more forgiving of, of some of the, you know, not so great parts where it's just like that kind of met my expectations, but also there, there were moments, especially towards the beginning that I I felt uh, worked quite well. And so it, it just feels like you said, where it's like, there's some parts that are great. And then some parts that are just not good. Yeah. Uh, but like one of the parts that I really enjoyed uh, jumping back to cinematography a little bit is just the montage at the beginning of amazing Spider-Man two um, right after Gwen Stacy breaks up with him, which I also, th- also think is, is actually a pretty good scene where she goes, you can't keep doing this to me. I break up with you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you go like, <laughs> that's fair. Right. And um, then he is just doing Spider-Man stuff. And for like three minutes or something, it's just him saving people. It's him doing stuff. I love how he has a cold and he's in the, <laughs> and he's, yeah. so it's like that right there is fantastic. That's good character work into some good stuff. And I have to mention, because I mentioned, I love Aunt May and Ben Parker a lot more in, in this duology. And uh, some of the jokes, I don't know, they really worked for me. So when uh, Peter's trying to do the laundry and Aunt May's like, no, no, I do the laundry in this house. And she says, last time you did it, you turned everything blue and red. And of course, we know why (laughs) that is. And Peter says, that was a mistake because I washed the American flag. And she goes, no one washes a flag. (laughs) (laughs) Good cover. Yeah. (laughs) Because what else is red and blue? <laughs> but see, it's like little little corny things like that. It's it's like it works. There's a little bit of humor, you know. And so it's like it's. I think it's just more disappointing that the bad parts are pretty bad, yeah. Because there is some good in there too. You know, it's interesting because that I think the first movie worked pretty well, and it made it did. decent money. Mm-hmm. And but it's like they've changed a lot of stuff for the second yeah. one. You I mean when you change the composer? That's one thing. You change the costume, change the tone. It's like they, they get a lot of studio notes. I'm assuming they did because they're very much trying to fast track a Sinister Six movie oh, in the second yeah. one, right? So they're like, we got to settle this stuff up. And we've seen this time and time again in superhero movies where they overload things and mm-hmm. it typically doesn't work out very well. And uh, it's like you just have, you know, it's not just one person's vision too. You have multiple people and 
uh, all their different influences, it doesn't always shake out that well. And it felt like the second movie had a lot more, uh, lot more people kind of pulling on it in different directions. And that's probably why you get tonal shifts and too many cooks in the kitchen, too many cooks. Yeah. I do want to talk about sound just real fast before we've oh, yeah, yeah. done a performance. Um, I mentioned the, I also had it written as a wet smack when Gwen's hits, hits the ground. It's brutal. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's horrible. Um, I love my favorite fight in all the Spider-Man movies is the lizard and Peter Man and Peter Man and Spider-Man <laughs> fighting in the library uh, where oh, you yeah. don't get to hear the fight. You hear the classical music as Stanley, one of his best cameos mm-hmm. uh, is in there in the background and it's uh, just brilliant use uh, of no sound. Yeah. Special effect wise, uh, but using the classical music instead. And uh, I also like that. Uh, Peter's cell phone is the 67 Spider-Man theme. Yeah. That's fun. And then of course they throw in the itsy bitsy spider and he says, I hate that song, which is <laughs> pretty awesome. dude. Yeah. The, the little Easter eggs and, and jokes are, I think overall pretty good in this, in this uh, series. I, I do love that Stanley cameo though. <laughs> that, that That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Honestly, he's a lot of the Stanley cameos in the Spider-Man movies are pretty good. Yeah. So performance, we talked a little bit about Andrew Garfield already. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to mention, I think he's a much better crier than, than yeah, he is. <laughs> and this, you know, it's not even a competition. <laughs> no, this is, this is a brutal series for him. It is. Yeah. It is, he has a lot of tragedy that happens to him in, in these two films. And so he gets a lot of opportunity to do that. And you just, ah, I feel for him. You know, mm-hmm. he talks really fast. No, no, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben. And it's like, it just feels authentic. Like I'm, I'm there with yeah. him. I think he, I think Andrew Garfield is a fantastic actor and, and they put him through the ringer in this mm-hmm. one, you know, and then, and Gwen dies and it's just a oh, man, just brutal. And, and I think Emma Stone is fantastic in these two films as Gwen Stacy. I think they have great chemistry. I think she's an, she's a good match for him. She's smarter than he is. And he knows it and relies on that, which is great. Uh, and then I, you know, again, going back to the end of the second movie, you know, he's telling, no, you got to leave. And she's like, nobody tells me what to do. I make my own choices. And then it happens. <laughs> Actions have consequences. <laughs> they do. <laughs> um, but I can go back to, you know, how in, in the Raimi trilogy that, that Peter Parker doesn't really, he's not funny and doesn't talk smack to criminals. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's because of amazing Spider-Man that I feel that way. You know, when he has the thing with the car thief, my weakness, it's small knives. That whole sequence. It's like, you, you think I'm a cop cop in a, in a skin tight, red and blue suit. I was going for the guys who do the luge. I mean, he's just like, he just can't <laughs> stop talking yeah. the whole time, uh, which is just amazing. Uh, another line that I really liked, uh, Dennis Leary plays Gwen Stacy's dad. And, I've just always been a fan of Dennis Leary. I think he's amazing and he's toned, he's toned down quite a bit. You know, he's in, in the pocket in this, but he has a line where he says, so 38 of New York's finest versus one guy in a unitard. Just brilliant. Yep. I love the exchange uh, between Captain Stacy and Peter Parker. Once Peter understands the plan, uh, Dr. Connor's plan, and he's like ghosts to the police. And he's like, you got to believe me. And uh, the acting uh, for Captain Stacy Dennis Leary is is spot on. 
where it's like, you can't quite tell at the beginning, is he going to buy it? Is he not? And then it's just like, not even close. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think that, um, I think his acting is spot on. Like you said, I love Emma Stone. Um, I love uh, Ben and May, uh, Dr. Connors. I, I think the acting is just really solid. I, I think the only one who isn't really hitting it for me is Dane DeHaan in the second one. And uh, the exchange between him and his father. So uh, between Harry and Norman Osborn. It's just like, whew, that feels like out of a different movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just isn't working. Um, the interactions between Harry and the other characters, it just doesn't quite, he doesn't quite sell it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I feel like, you know, as much as, as the lecture is cheesy, I think Jamie Foxx is, is selling what he's getting. It's not great stuff, but he's, doing his best. I don't think Dane DeHaan is. <laughs> and um, Paul Giamatti feels a little out of place. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the the right, it feels miscast to me. Yeah. I don't know. I would agree with that. I, cause I like Paul Giamatti and just about yes. everything I've seen him in, but yes, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he's the right guy for that part. No, it, it feels like they, they really needed someone, someone different. So it's kind of like the core cast, I think, is 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 rock solid, right? And um, I do think it was really interesting. I love the choice that they made to have uh, Captain Stacy appear in these like little flashbacks, I guess you call them, in Amazing Spider-Man Two, trying to deal with some of this PTSD, right? And I love when movies do this, where you know consequences for your actions it goes for everybody. Peter is still a person, right? He still has to deal with the ramifications of being Spider-Man. And um, the fact that he's really torn up about Captain Stacy dying, I think is, is a really interesting choice because it forces him to kind of reconcile. Am I Spider-Man? Am I Peter? Can I be both? And I think both series deal with that. Uh, in their own way. And I, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I thought that was a really powerful thing that they did in, in, in this movie, uh, in these two movies where first off you get Gwen Stacy finding out that he's Peter pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I love that scene where, you know, he says I've been bitten and she's like, so have I, and it's, you know, it's like classic <laughs> sitcom misunderstanding, but he's like, no, I'm trying to yep. tell you, I got bit by radio to spider. And she's like, Oh, you're in love with me. And, yeah. Yes. Both are true. Yeah. Um, but she has, you know, this exchange with him where she talks about how, you know, since she's been a little kid, she's been worried about her dad coming home mm-hmm. and it's, you know, this is, she's going to have to deal with that with him. And, you know, it comes true with her dad. And so, you know, Peter's all that he's been told, like, Mike, <laughs> if I get involved with you, like I'm putting you at risk and putting everybody at risk. And so, but he does it anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's natural that he would have this kind of survivor's guilt right? from that. But like, what other choice does he have? I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I thought that that was, again, and this is in the second movie too. So there's yeah. so many great moments in the second movie, guys. Yeah. And, and that's where I, that's what, that's what I mean by like, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because yeah. it's like, oh, that's, and a lot of that. 
PTSD stuff, that survivor's guilt is nonverbal. Like he, he just sees Captain Stacy in all these different places. Right. And yeah, he talks about it. But to begin with, it's like we get a view. We see the world from Peter Parker's perspective. And I think uh, that's always an important piece of storytelling in general is you have to, you know, connect with the character in the sense of you see a little bit of the world from their point of view, or at least you can see it. You can imagine yourself in their shoes. And, and that's where I really do like the relationship between Gwen and Peter. I think it really works. You mentioned that they have chemistry. I, I think they work really well together. I would say the relationship between those two, Gwen and Peter, is a little better than the relationship between Mary Jane and uh, Peter from Raimi's series. And partially because Mary Jane's a horrible person and Gwen is not. <laughs> well, these two have things in common too, right? <laughs> it's not just like, well, why are they together? Well, because they're the, because the male they're lead and the female lead. That's how it works. <laughs> like, no, they, they have a lot in common. Like they both yeah. love science. They're both very smart. They've kind of known each other for a little while. And right. so it, it feels like a natural extension yeah. of, of who these characters are. It kind of feels like a real relationship. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, is there anything else you want to mention for uh, performance before we move on to setting and design? You know, I will say this because I wasn't a huge fan of Peter's parents uh, in, in these movies. It's fine. It doesn't quite. Part of me says like it doesn't matter. Peter's parents don't matter. And then it's like harsh to say, but it's not about Peter's parents. It's about Peter. Um, and so, you know, they spend this time on his parents, which feels out of more out of like a James Bond film than, than a superhero film. And I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like they could have spent that time, you know, and we, you know, talk about performances it was acted fine and stuff. I just feel like, I don't know if they did that just because like, just to be different because Peter's parents don't really show up in much of any Spider-Man media. As far as I know. Um, yeah. I wasn't the biggest fan of that, but not the end of the world either. Okay. Uh, I do have one question about that real fast. Have you seen the deleted scene from the end of amazing Spider-Man two? No. Okay, because there is one um, that's on the Blu-ray where Peter's dad shows up at the at the at the cemetery. Oh, uh, yeah, where where Peter's been standing for not he clearly hasn't been standing for the <laughs> six months, but that's the way it looks, and that's a, a beautiful shot where him just kind of in profile and the seasons change or whatever. Uh, but yeah, his dad shows up, and so there's mm-hmm. possibly some you know a story thread that we're going to continue. Into. Sure, Amazing Spider-Man three had that come to fruition. had that worked out, yeah. yeah. So, uh, other than in the cemetery, which is clearly a real world location, uh, I was interested to find that most of the first movie was filmed in and around Los Angeles, mm-hmm. as opposed to the second movie, which most of it was actually in New York, like all over the place in New York. And they were very proud to say, hey, we filmed almost this entire thing in New York, which is great because that's where Spider-Man lives. And uh, that's one of the things I would say that with the second movie is better than the first because mm-hmm. of just feeling grounded in outside buildings and those natural landmarks and stuff of, of New York. 
as far as set decoration goes, I really liked my biggest thing is the giant clock where Gwen dies. Metaphor, people. It's metaphorical. <laughs> She's running out of time. I was like, oh, that's, that's genius. I, I love those. Just, I mean, it's, it's kind of a clunky over yeah. the top on the nose, pick, you know, whatever you want to say there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I thought it was effective and how it, you know, it just keeps turning. The gear keeps turning and that's what mm-hmm. snaps the web. And um, so I just thought that was a powerful and kind of a cool, cool thing for there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I don't know why, but it struck me, you know, <laughs> when you're looking at like the rooms of, of these actors, right. Cause they're all supposed to be like high school age, roughly. And it's like, man, the rooms are really cool. <laughs> they, they got all sorts of stuff in there. It's like no room I've ever seen looks like that. Um, I do think that uh, I, I kind of like the sewers from uh, the first Amazing Spider-Man. I think that it's kind of a good compromise between a more grounded, modern take on these movies, uh, but still having kind of like a secret layer. Um it makes a lot of sense. It adds a little suspense because you can't always see Dr. Connors as kind of the, the crocodile. Um, it also has the worst aspect of any of the two movies, which is the fact that Peter Parker has his name on the camera, which is, which is how Dr. Connors finds out who's Spider-Man, which is just the stupidest thing because you even mentioned how, you know, both Gwen and Peter are pretty intelligent in these films. That is not, that was really bad. That was dumb. And that just felt super contrived. Um, but other than that, like I, I mostly enjoy um, uh, the scenes and stuff. I like the fact that he has web shooters. And it's not just coming out of his skin. Um, and, you know, it even there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of, of reasoning. Cause I mentioned for the Raimi trilogy, how Spider-Man's web shooters would just randomly stop working, not web shooters, but it's, you know, they would just stop. Sure. And, uh, you know, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, when he's fighting Electro, they they zoom in and they show the electricity hitting his web shooter. And it makes sense because it being an electronic device. So it's like, okay, he's kind of crippled in this fight. So it's like, I appreciate those little things uh, that they included. Yeah, that, I like I like that a lot. I, I like seeing, I mean, it's like in the first Iron Man, just watching him work through stuff trying to figure it out and exploding and then you know the, in the second movie with the with the car battery and <laughs> just going horribly horribly wrong and see for me like those are good moments of levity that don't mm-hmm. take me out of the film like that's okay we can take a breath here and, and laugh at something being stupid without it being jamie fox talking to himself <laughs> for instance all right uh characters um yeah i uh, most people did a pretty solid job with this. I also always enjoy um, Comfior. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, he's the guy who also played um, Laffy in uh, in the Thor movies. Uh, he plays Donald Mankin in this. He's barely in it. He's the guy that takes over uh, Oscorp mm-hmm. from Harry. He's always good. If you've ever seen, I don't know if you have you ever seen uh, Storm of the Century. It's a Stephen King. It was a miniseries. He's the bad guy in that. I highly recommend that and to anybody who's listening. Storm of the Century is fantastic. And you might have to find it somewhere, but it's on DVD, I know at least. Uh, I also like that uh, at least a mention, Jameson gets a mention. Yeah, because he's I, I, I remember that too. 
he's cheap, which is awesome because that's what we know from uh, the line is like, you know, if Jameson or the bugle didn't pay you like starvation wages or something, and he's yeah. like, they wouldn't be starvation wages in the sixties. Like, yeah, that's a nice pull too, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, that's when Spider-Man came out, uh, was invented. So yeah, so that's an, probably another thing where we're like, you know what, we don't want to touch. Uh, right. Well, you can't. Yeah. He, he is the pinnacle of acting in any superhero movie. It doesn't get any better than J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. J.K. Simmons is a genius. So they just left it there. That's good. We'll just assume <laughs> it's the same one. Because of course it is. <laughs> because it is in the Holland multiverse version. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's always the same. All right. Um, as far as Hero's Journey goes, I mean, it hits all the beats, clearly. Death of the Mentor with Uncle Ben. We talked, we can argue about whether or not Peter needs to become more of a hero or is better off kind of being a hero at the beginning. Whatever. It fits. Yeah. Good stuff. Final has final transformation. And then he, you know, accepts the call at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2 again, which is I think one of the highlights of that movie as well. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts on the Amazing Spider-Man duology. I think it's a good, I think it's a good run. Um, some obvious problems in amazing Spider-Man two and more than anything, it, it just feels unfortunate because I feel like, you know, as we've been talking about for the last hour or so, there are some really good po- like points in that film. Um, in some ways it, it feels like, it, it feels both finished and unfinished to me because I think the death of Gwen Stacy, it, there's the sense of finality about it. But at the same time, it also kind of feels like the empire strikes back a little bit where, you know, there's this big down note and there's no triumphant rise at the end. There's no return of the Jedi moment for Garfield's Peter Parker, where it's like, it feels like there could have been another story to go after this. And I think there was talk about having another one. Um, I think if, if two had been a bit more of a solid movie, maybe we would have gotten that. I don't know, but um, you know, I, I think for what it is, I think they're enjoyable films that uh, I was pretty happy to come back and, and, and revisit. Yeah, I agree. I think the best way to look at it is, like you'd mentioned earlier with like different comic book runs where whatever Spider-Man is your favorite version is fully legitimate. And there's no, well, the new one, you know, they rebooted it now. And so the other ones don't count like that whole mentality is, is fortunately it's going away. If you enjoyed Mm -hmm. the movie, great. If you didn't leave it on the shelf and don't watch it. Uh, I'm hoping, and he keeps protesting saying he's not in the movie. And I'm trying to temper my expectations, but I really want Andrew Garfield to be in No Way Home. I really do hope that he's in there. I hope he and Toby are, are both in there and that we get a little bit of resolution to kind of this. There's not really lingering plot, plot threads, but I kind of want to know like what happened to him after. Uh, and I, as I said earlier, he's my favorite Spider-Man. So I'd like to see him be Spider-Man some more. Yeah. You know, for what it's worth um, and for the future, this is before we have seen uh, No Way Home. But somebody on something, I want to say it was like IMDb or it was some theater website said that Garfield, it was starring Garfield in No Way Home. 
And maybe that's a mistake. <laughs> maybe somebody made that up. I don't know. Um, but somebody pointed out in the trailer for No Way Home that um, Tom Holland's MJ, played by uh, Zendaya, is falling. Very similar to Gwen yep. Stacy. And I would bet just about anything that Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, is going to have a little PTSD flashback, but is going to save her this time. Please, yeah, yes. And that, that will be a little redemptive uh, piece right there. And I really hope that's the case because uh, I do like Garfield Spider-Man too. Yes, let's do that. Yes, please. <laughs> hey, before we get out of here, um, we got an email uh, from Joshua Cox. It's a lovely email. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read it because it's just great. And he kind of rips on you at the end, Matt. So that's fun. <laughs> Not really. He doesn't really rip on you, but he does call you out. All right. Here's what it says. Uh, Dear reading between the reels. Hello. May I first say I love your podcast. I just recently discovered it from the recent episode of Coffee with Kenobi you appeared on. See, it worked. Look at that. We were on there. More people heard us. That's me talking, Craig, now. Your podcast is great. I'm really passionate about storytelling, film especially. I especially love hearing you guys talk about cinematography and technical aspects like that. It's hard to find podcasts that actually address that branch of it, and I'm glad I found such a great one. Thank you, guys, and keep it up. I'm a little late to the game on this, but I... Just recently finished your Rise of Skywalker episode and wanted to share some of my thoughts. I agree with just about everything you guys said, and I just wanted to add a bit. I share your feelings about Ray Palpatine. I don't like it at all. Structurally, it's an ineffective midpoint. At the midpoint, the plot takes a turn we didn't expect and or the stakes both literally and emotionally are raised. The Ray Palpatine reveal was supposed to be the midpoint, but nothing is changed. The plot is unaltered. The goals, motivations, and emotional stakes of the characters are completely the same. No character is changed by this revelation and no elements of the plot are either. I wish this was a, I wish this was a video podcast because Matt is nodding repeatedly. <laughs> Secondly, it fails Ray as a character. Her whole arc in The Last Jedi was learning to define herself rather than relying on other people to define her. It was about learning that she is special because she is Ray, not because she's Ray Palpatine or Ray Kenobi or anyone else. Ray Palpatine does not, does somewhat follow up on this, but Ray, nobody accomplishes this theme so much better. Ray Palpatine does allow for her to realize that blood does not define her, but it still puts her in a box. It essentially says that the only reason she's important and has a part in this story is because she's Palpatine's granddaughter instead of simply because she's Ray and because of what she chooses to do. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Thank you so much for your podcast and keep it up. P.S. My favorite Ghostbusters quote is from Peter. Sorry, Matt. Back <laughs> off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> Joshua Cox. Thank you, Joshua. That was awesome. Yes, you are clearly a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, you, you mostly agree with us, which is fantastic. Um, it's okay if you don't. As long as you listen and let us know. In, in some ways, it's, it's sometimes it's fun when people don't because it's good, good discussion. But uh, frankly, uh, I, I really agree with your comments on Rise of Skywalker. And it is... So disappointing, and I am happy to talk about Rise of Skywalker anytime anyone brings it up because there's a loathing that I have for that movie that is hard to describe. Uh, but you know the the fact that you bring up that like the whole Ray Palpatine is this like surprise, but then it doesn't fundamentally change anything is a horrible sin because it's like if you're gonna do the whole Ray Palpatine thing, okay, do it but do it well, like have it mean something, you know? And, and I feel like they, (laughs) 
it feels like a throwaway in some sense. It's kind of like somehow Palpatine returned, just <laughs> tossing it out there. So thank you for writing, Joshua. Um, great thoughts. Uh, and, I, and I do agree with you. Um, and uh, it's, it's fun hearing some other people's thoughts about this movie, knowing that we're not alone. Absolutely. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of The Matrix. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments in The Matrix, and we'll share them on the next episode.